Happy Saturday, everyone. Ben here. Uh, this is edition 40 of Teconomist, titled Shopify's Platform Strategy. This issue was originally published as an email newsletter on Saturday, February 13th, 2021. Uh, if you haven't already, I recommend also subscribing to the written edition at teconomist.email. So with that, on to the news this week. TikTok sale kicked into the long grass. Under the Trump administration, ByteDance was instructed to sell TikTok to protect Americans' users' data from landing in the hands of the Chinese government, or from China influencing the content algorithm, I think, I'm not sure. Anyway, Oracle and Walmart were the likely suitors. With only a few months before the US election, ByteDance managed to hold up the sale in American courts long enough for Biden to win, and now he wants to take the time to properly give thought to a policy around Chinese tech groups operating in the United States. All signs report to Biden remaining tough on China too, but it will probably be thoughtful about creating rules that apply to everyone, rather than targeting one company at a time, which is sensible because there's also WeChat, Alipay, and Huawei, and Qiao, and, well, endless others. Musk moving crypto markets. Tesla is putting $1.5 billion of its cash reserves into Bitcoin. Companies moving a percentage of their balance sheet into the cryptocurrency isn't new, with many organizations such as Square doing the same. However, $1.5 billion represents nearly 10% of the cash Tesla had on hand at the end of 2020. Musk also announced that Tesla plans to accept Bitcoin as a payment method for its cars. Some have questioned this, as Bitcoin uses a great deal of energy to mine and store, lots of computer processing, which doesn't align well with Tesla's environmental mission as an EV company. Other businesses have also been less confident in accepting Bitcoin due to its volatility. Is Bitcoin becoming mainstream? Probably, but lots of unanswered questions remain like regulation, tax, and trust. Meanwhile, Microsoft and the EU joined the pay for news debate. A couple of weeks ago, I wrote about the Australian government working on laws to make Google and Facebook pay local news publishers for links and snippets of news content. Inevitably, as this this gains traction, other policymakers around the world are watching and receiving pressure from their large news institutions to replicate this. The European Union is the latest to consider such a law. Also, Microsoft's president, Brad Smith, is in support of the pay for news model volunteering Bing to step in to fill the the search void in Australia if Google exits the country, and has pushed American regulators to consider the model too. It's a fair play to Microsoft, but Google isn't leaving Australia, and no one is turning from Google to Bing. But when you're behind in your market, you've got to take the disruption opportunities when they present themselves. And on to earnings. Starting with Twitter, who reported steady growth in active users and revenue, but it's their more strategic moves which appear to be accelerating its stock's price. Twitter stock grew over 20% this week, following signs that it's moving into new business models. It bought Review last month, a newsletter publisher, and Spaces, a clubhouse competitor for audio-only groups. This creates opportunities in paid subscriptions and allows for more dynamic advertising. As expected for Uber in 2020, its ride-sharing business tanked while food delivery took off. Mobility, which is its ride-sharing business, did $6.8 billion in bookings, which was down 50% on 2019, when we were all moving around cities. 
while delivery, its eats business, grew 130% to over $10 billion in bookings as we spend more time at home eating Thai food on the couch. Uber's losses are still pretty wild at $6.8 billion in 2020. They have that same amount in cash and short-term investments on their balance sheet, so expect either cost reductions or more capital if ride-sharing doesn't bounce back in 2021. SoftBank, the Japanese conglomerate behind Masayoshi Sun's Vision Funds, celebrated a positive quarter on the back of successful portfolio company events such as DoorDash's IPO. Sun's Vision Funds took a big hit last year due to its heavy position in the failed WeWork IPO. But when you make enough big bets, they've made $108 billion across 118 companies, you can afford some not going your way. Affirm, the American Buy Now Pay Later service, reported its earnings, uh, its first report of earnings this week, with mixed results. Active users grew, and GMV, gross merchant value, also grew. However, Affirm signaled a dip next quarter in GMV, probably following the holiday season spike. What I'm keeping an eye on is Affirm's Shopify partnership as the integrated installment solution for ShopPay. It's in beta right now, but if that takes off, that could be transformational for a firm. More on Shopify and ShopPay below. Reddit capitalizes on 15 minutes. The online discussion forum that hosts the now famous Wall Street Bets subreddit community responsible for the GameStop saga raised $250 million in equity finance to fuel employee growth. It's been a long time coming, but Reddit is having a moment. They are, however, still a quarter the size of Twitter when it comes to their user base. And finally, finding love online is a big business. Dating apps had a busy week, with Bumble's IPO on Thursday seeing a 64% pop on trading day, which I guess is normal now, while Match, the company behind Tinder and a range of other dating apps, bought South Korea's HyperConnect, a social network with broad community utility. Facebook launched a dating app 18 months ago, which on paper feels like an obvious right-to-play sector for them, but they haven't made a meaningful impact against these incumbents. Maybe it's just too weird for people mixing dating conversations with the photo comments from their mum on the same platform. And onto the feature this week, Shopify's platform strategy. The sensible thing to do would be to wait a week and write about Shopify following their Q4 earnings call this coming Wednesday. However, following the deep dive on Amazon last week and the partnership news between Shopify and Facebook this week, I found myself spending a lot of time thinking about the business Shopify is building and felt compelled to get into it this week. However, I do reserve the right to revisit this topic if there are big announcements on the earnings call this coming Wednesday. Anyway, right now, I'm incredibly bullish on the future of Shopify. This is by no means a controversial statement, as the $178 billion market cap demonstrates I'm not alone in seeing great things ahead for the Canadian e-commerce platform. But it's the strategy, product, and distribution model which gets me excited about how big Shopify might become. It's not unreasonable to suggest that Shopify reaches Amazon levels of sales volume in the next decade. But let me take a step back and break down the parts of Shopify's business that warrant such statements of grandeur. There are four areas I want to touch on. The origins of Shopify and its good timing, retail infrastructure, or its single integrated back office, financial services like banking, payments, and capital, and finally, distribution, 
think Facebook, TikTok, and Shop. Shopify is one of those amazing tech companies founded outside of Silicon Valley, like Spotify or Skype, and has proved you can reach incredible scale without being on the US West Coast, let alone in the US at all. Founded by software engineer Tobias Lutke and his co-founder Scott Lake, they were simply trying to solve a problem for themselves, selling snowboards online. After they struggled to find a suitable platform to launch their online store, Lutke decided to build it himself using Ruby on Rails. Then in 2006, that store became the platform designed for Shopify, effectively productizing the tool Lutke had built to sell winter sports gear. Shopify's timing was spot on. While personal use of the internet was well and truly booming by 2006, e-commerce adoption was still in its infancy. In the US, only 3% of retail spend was happening online versus over 14% today. Stripe, synonymous with online payments, wouldn't launch until 2010. And while Amazon had been around for a decade, they didn't serve third-party sellers until 2006 either. So just as businesses explored ways to reach customers on the internet, Shopify was there in time building the tools to host a storefront on the web. However, listing a catalog of products on a website was only part of the operational problem to solve. There are a suite of tools a retail business needs to be successful, such as inventory and order management, shipping, marketing and analytics. Shopify got to work building out the back-end infrastructure for sellers, or as they coin it, a single integrated back office. Like any good platform, some of the core staff Shopify built themselves. For others, they partnered to leverage outside expertise. And for everything else, Shopify built an API and an ecosystem to allow third-party integrations. Jumping ahead to 2013, Shopify would make one of the most strategically important decisions for its business. It built Shopify Payments, powered by Stripe's payment APIs. Up until then, Shopify customers relied on third-party payment gateways, but Shopify soon realized the payment experience was a really core part of making online retail frictionless. And three years into its own journey, it was clear at that time that Stripe was building something transformative. Eight years on, 45% of all merchant payments on Shopify are now processed using Shopify payments, generating a meaningful new revenue line beyond the platform subscription fees. Shopify is now going all in on supporting the financial service needs of its customers. In 2016, they launched Capital, which covers both loans and merchant cash advances for customers in the US, Canada, and the UK. Shopify has rich payments data on hand about its merchants. So like a bank, they're able to assess affordability and extend credit to merchants with a reliable sales record. In 2017, ShopPay was launched. Think of this like an Apple Pay solution that enables buyers to save their payment credentials in the ShopPay system, removing friction at checkout when shopping on a Shopify store. This is neat and probably has a meaningful impact on shopping cart drop-offs. But the real strategic genius in this product was extending ShopPay capabilities in other platforms like Facebook and Instagram. Facebook has recently partnered with Shopify to power online stores, allowing businesses to transact with customers without leaving Facebook platforms. And now Shopify will also capture the payments value by extending ShopPay into that checkout experience. Again, this is under Stripe, uh, providing these capabilities, but Shopify has taken that infrastructure 
and added a layer of value and integration over the top. The final piece of the finance puzzle Shopify is looking to solve for merchants is a full suite of banking products. Shopify Balance is due to launch this year and will allow merchants to store funds in an account and issue cards to spend those funds on business expenses. So instead of sales income landing in Shopify payments and being passed over to the merchant's core business bank account, Shopify is now capturing and capturing that stored value and generating value off of things like card interchange. And knowing the customer so well, they can continue to add value around the balance product, like extending additional capital or business-related benefits when using the card. I could quite easily get sidetracked here and exhaust a couple of thousand more words on banking as a service, but I'll refrain and keep this focused on the Shopify business. However, what I will say is I'm hard pressed to find a better example of a platform and a brand doing a better job of utilizing embedded finance than Shopify. With over 1 million sellers on the platform and over $100 billion in GMV, there are ample opportunities to capture value with this suite of financial services built specifically for online sellers. The last interesting piece of the model is distribution. While Amazon requires buyers to visit amazon.com to shop, Shopify is not in itself the destination. It claims no role in providing sellers with customers directly, and it is not a marketplace, nor a network. This is why Amazon takes a percentage of sales, while Shopify's core product is a fixed monthly subscription fee. Shopify is the back-end infrastructure to run an online store, at its most basic level, giving you the framework and web domain to host a shop on the internet. However, what this gives Shopify an opportunity to do is embed itself in distribution platforms like Facebook, TikTok, or even Amazon, wherever the customer dedicates their eyeballs, basically. So much like Twilio have for messaging and Stripe have for payments, Shopify wants to run the online shop infrastructure and other digital platforms. This takes all of the pressure off attracting new customers to their marketplace and allows them to continually do deals with the next social network or marketplace that comes along while focusing their product efforts on building tools. So this week, I expect to see Shopify report their first $100 billion year in GMV for 2020, along with continued growth in merchant signups as many businesses continue to move online as the pandemic drives people off of the high street. Amazon did over $200 billion in marketplace sales last year. However, Shopify is certainly catching up, proven by the US Black Friday weekend figures, which saw sellers on Shopify generate $5.1 billion in sales versus Amazon's third-party sellers posting $4.8 billion. So as social platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok build more tools empowering their content creators and influencers to sell directly to users, Shopify is well-placed to capture much of that value as the seller's back-end infrastructure, which, as an internet business, is proving a great place to be. Thank you.